It's a real privilege for me tonight to uh, introduce our uh, guest preacher, our brother Dick Ely. Uh, you know, uh, as I was listening to Pastor Peterson's prayer and how in that prayer he referred to a young lady in the morning and her kids, and uh, always that was always part of everything we did here was the children and the youth. And uh, when I was a young person, uh, Dick Ely trusted me with uh, teaching Bible to adults on uh, mission trips and different things. And, uh, you know, that, those are such important years in your life. It's why we invest in a quality youth pastor like uh, our brother Kevin Lane today, because we know how important these years are as uh, junior high, high school youth. And Dick had such an impact on so many of us. It's good to see a lot of you here tonight and uh, that we're in the youth group back there. So I'm going to invite Dick up, have a word of prayer. And uh, if later on in the evening, later on somewhere, he tries to embarrass me or anything, um, I just want you to know that that uh, it was the company I kept, and, uh, and not not me. And it's the price you pay for hanging out with Amundsons. So, <clears throat> anyway, come on up here. Let's have a, a word of prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this man, uh, Lord. Uh, just uh, just the difference he made in so many lives, and the way he and Char have served you and uh, touched lives. And we're just thrilled and just happy to have him with us tonight on this important anniversary celebration. So bless him as he opens your word to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jim. That's, not, that's got a real great ring to it, doesn't it? Pastor Jim. I wouldn't have said that 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, and the reason, the reason is, is that uh, Jim and, and Dale entrusted me with a birthday card long time ago. And you know, I have kept that thing for all these years because I said one time, someplace, sometime, it'll come back to haunt those two guys. I have it right here. <laughs> now, I was thinking, how can I, how can I do this? And and let you know that it really wasn't your pastor. Uh, he was being led down the primrose path by a guy that was better known at that point in time of life as Gump. Now, anybody known as Gump, you know that the rest of it's all going to be bad and downhill for the guys that associated with him. And I really do. I, I really I do want you to see this card. But... For you to really be enriched and enjoy it the way I have all these years, and I show it to people, and I, I have transported this thing with me ever since I left here, because I said, one of these days, it'll come back. You'll have to see it up front and close, personally, and you'll have to check it out, because you will lose it, because you can't really see the story on the inside. And so you're, you've got to come up afterwards. I will have it for you. But like I said, you, it would lose its, um, its uh, significance. Hey, this is good to be here tonight. <laughs> you know, Bill, when you took your glasses off over there, made me nervous. Because when I take my glasses off, I have to go to bed. You know, I walk around or stand or sing anything like that. I got to go to bed. So, well, it's hard to believe. 46 years ago, we came here to be youth pastor. I traveled out from Muskegon, Michigan, left Shar and Jeff back there because at that point in time, you had to be in the hospital 20 months after you had a baby so that they would let you go home. <laughs> And, and so Shar had to stay back there. They wouldn't let her fly on the plane with us. And so I had uh, Todd and Brent with me. We took out of Muskegon, and uh, Todd threw up all over the airplane. We got to Chicago, and he was so sick, we had to put him in a little room, and Brent wanted to run all over the place. And so I'm running all over trying to catch up with him in the airport in Chicago. And then we arrive, and we get here, and my first board meeting, we're down here in the library, and afterwards, we all go out to um, Big Boy, and I'm sitting there, and 
and Wilson Fossey is to my left, and the board, other board members are around, and Jim and, and Pastor are there. And I order a big old double-decker, triple-decker ice cream. And I'm sitting on, in the middle, and I've got a round table like this, and the, the waitress comes walking over and, and begins to hand that to me, and as she hands it, she tips it, and the top of the ice cream comes right off. And I'm sitting there, and I just go like that, and I catch it right before it hits my lap. Wilson leaned over, and he says, Welcome to Seattle. <laughs> From that point on, we've had all sorts of great times, great remembrances of lots of crazy things that the Lord allowed us to do, like being over at the Terry's swimming pool at their house and taking the chlorine out of there and filling it up with trout and the junior highs going fishing in their swimming pool. I tell you what. And so it wasn't fun enough just to go fishing. They had to jump in the pool, see if they could catch those things, you know? <laughs> Great memories that you all allowed us to participate in 46 years ago. God's been good all the time. And all the time, God's been good. So we left here and went to the Furs in Bellingham, Washington. And then 30 years ago, we left Bellingham to go to North Carolina. And we spent 30 years in North Carolina. Just came back two months ago. You mentioned George Beverly Shea. Last time Sharon and I saw him, we were in a little restaurant and there was a group of them and George was there and he was sort of leading the spirit of all of this thing. And, and so we had a chance to sit down and talk with him. And, and God used that man to his last breath. And it was exciting to see and participate and be a part of some of that. But we're here. 50 years ago. Well, when Pastor Jim asked me if I would share with you this evening, I thought, well, okay, what is it that I might share that would be beneficial, at least I would pray would be beneficial? And, you know, something came to my mind almost immediately, and it was, it's a book title. I don't know if you've ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall is an is a executive coach. You could, you could get his services, if you wish, but it would cost you $250,000 a year to have him coach you. But he would be willing to do that. Now, you could have me for a lot less, <laughs> if you want. But he wrote a book. It was, it was titled, or it is titled, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Now, it really had to do with, with life in general and your life and the things that you're looking at. And so as I work with clients, we usually work on 1, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20-year goals. And we hold them accountable for this process with, with these individuals. I was just talking to a client the other day who lives in Saskatchewan, Canada. Two years ago, she called me, and uh, she wanted to start a ministry. I said, well, how bad do you want to start this ministry? She said, oh, really bad. I said, well, I really don't think that you want to. I don't think you're willing to pay the price. And she said, yeah, I really want to. And so today, two and a half years later, God has got her right in the midst of a ministry up there. And the reason that God is anointing and blessing that is because of her faithfulness to the word of God, her commitment to make sure that the word is straight and that these young ladies that she's working with are hearing the truth of God's word. That is what this church has been all about. But what got you here over the last 50 years is not going to get you there unless you make two words that I've taken this year as my key words. One is transformation. The other is intentional. And you will not have transformation unless you are intentional about that to take place. 
And so what got you here, what got Brian here over the last 50 years is not going to get you there 50 years from now unless you continue a transformation in your ministry and in your life personally, professionally, and that you're intentional about seeing that that is going to take place, that you stay, you're staying true to the Word of God. Pastor Bruce mentioned that this morning, and how important that is. So what I want to do is I want us to walk through a couple of those passages, and in looking at those passages, I want to start in the Old Testament, then I want to go to the New Testament, and I want to answer two questions that almost all of us have asked at one time or another, are asking right now, or will ask in the future. Who am I, and why am I here? So let's take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. We want to look at that because that gives us some infrastructure to what I want to say in the rest part of the message. Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where it's going to begin us. And if you get over to Deuteronomy chapter 4, say amen. amen. All right, so let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we ask that you would anoint your word this evening, cover it with your blessing. We pray the Spirit of God might have freedom to work through me, touch my heart, my mind, my lips, speak through me to encourage the hearts and the lives of each of us here this evening. And God, might we realize that, that the only way that in 50 years we can look back on what you'll give us over the next 50 years if you don't come before that time is that we're intentional about the transformation that takes place in our life. So God, make us aware. Make us to hear the truth of your word and use it in a mighty way to ring clear the call and the commitment that you're asking us to follow. And what was set before us that because of the faithfulness of those who have come behind us, we will be faithful in the call of those who will follow us into the future. And so, God, to your name be honor and glory. We'll give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. So over in the fourth chapter, and I'm going to do my best to be able to see this, uh, God blessed me with two things over the, my years, one more recently, and that is diabetes. Because of diabetes, I have diabetic retinopathy, and I'm blind, so he blessed me with that. He also blessed me with stupidity, not knowing how to take care of that. So, so here it is. In the translation that I have, uh, which is the New Living Translation, you may say, well, that's not really a Bible. But uh, stay with me because that was the only one that I could find in all of our boxes. <clears throat> and by the way, if there's anything that you need for Christmas, let me know. I'll send you one of our boxes that we brought out. <laughs> That's the dumbest stuff I think I've ever done in my life. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 32. Just above that verse, mine said, my words in, in, in my translation says, there is only one God. Okay? Then he goes on, and in verse 35, Moses says, he showed you these things so you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. I remember seeing a cartoon years ago that it had a sign there and it said, God is dead. And that was in the first picture. The second picture, there was a little sprout that was growing up at the base of this sign. And uh, so it, the first one just showed that sprout growing up, and then the next one showed that it, it was starting to grow up with more sprouts around. By the time you got down to the fourth uh, picture, the is dead was covered up, and it just, or, yeah, the dead is, was covered up and said, God is. And that's where you and I have to begin. And we have to have that within our life. We have to acknowledge that God is. Hebrews chapter uh, 11 talks about that the things that really move in a person's life are two things. 
that we have to acknowledge that God is and that he is the rewarder of those who faithfully serve him. So, all of those things that got us here aren't going to get us there until we come to that acknowledgement and we say, God is. So that's where it was Moses when he was dealing with the children of Israel. Look at verse 39. So remember this, what? That God is. Remember this and keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth and there is no other. Well, then you jump into chapter 5 and chapter 5 deals with what? Pardon me? Ten Commandments. All right. So in, the, in chapter 5, he deals with the first uh, Ten Commandments. And in verse 2, he says this. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Mount Sinai. He made a covenant with you and me. What was the covenant? The blood. Don't you thank God for the blood? That was a covenant that he made with you, made with me that through that covenant, he gives you and me everlasting life. So he goes on, and in chapter 5, in verse 29, he says, Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. What a promise. What a promise both to the Israelites, but to you and me. That verse has to do with our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to not only know about God, but to know God. God allowed me for 20 years to have an office to do counseling with people. And for 20 years, I listened and I worked with people's problems. 2003, God said, I'm going to let you start working with their possibilities. Oh, it's much nicer to work with people's possibilities than their problems. But I never really looked at people who are having problems as problems. I just looked at it as having opportunities. Moses, I think, was the same way. And so he says, oh, that they would always have hearts. Beloved, God wants us to have hearts. And in having those hearts, he wants us to be ready for the next 50 years. Now, how do I know that? Because in chapter 6, he lays out a message to the children of Israel, but he gives us the same concept message for us today. And here's what he says, chapter 6. First off, he says, you must fear the Lord your God. Sometimes we have individuals who translate that in awe and, and respect. Now, and we need that. But we also have to have a healthy fear of God. Because when God says that if you die apart from me, you face eternal damnation. Now, it seems to me that that would be a healthy fear to understand that. And so I don't know that in the 21st century that people out there in the world, and maybe even sometimes in the church, that we have a healthy fear of what God tells us and what he expects and what he wants us to do and to be in our life. Moses said, fear the Lord your God. Look at it verse thir uh, at verse 3. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Verse 4, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God. Now, understand that every good Jewish boy and girl would say this every single day. And I think that a few Gentiles ought to say this too. You must love the Lord your God with all, how much of it? All, all your heart. How much of your soul? All your soul. And how much of your strength? All your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. 
Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What he's saying is he said, for 50 years, those of you who were here in a part of Berean, he said, take the word of God, but you have to take it inside so that, in fact, you can take that and you can distribute that to your children so they can distribute to their children. So how do I know that the faithfulness of teaching God's word comes out of the word of God into the lives of your kids? How do I know that our three sons, Todd, Brent, and Jeff, by the way, Todd and Tanny live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Brent and Melinda live here in Bellevue, and Jeff and Nancy live in in Rapid City, South Dakota, spread all over the place. But how do I know that what Char and I taught them was beneficial to their life and that they continue the process? We've got rugrats, snotty-nosed grandkids. And so we know if it meant anything to our sons in the lives of our grandkids. I praise God for the opportunity of hearing the truth that comes back out of their hearts and their lives. But I read these verses here in Deuteronomy, and when I read those, for you and for me, I jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and it's, Paul says, what you've heard of me, give it to faithful men so that they will then give it to faithful men. Beloved, what got you here 50 years ago will not get you there unless you continue the faithfulness of the word of God. It just isn't going to happen. And the reason I say it's not going to happen is that our society is changing so fast that our kids and grandkids are getting spun up in all of these things. The depravity of man is taking over faster and faster. Why? Because Satan realizes his days are being numbered even more so every single day. And he is out to grab our kids and our grandkids. What got us here 50 years ago will not get us there if I am not faithfully in the word of God. So I want to answer these two questions. Who am I and why am I here? When I was at Grace and I was youth pastor at Berean Bible there in Grand Rapids, there was a pastor's meeting and I was invited by Pastor Webb to sit in on it. And so I'm sitting at the back of the auditorium just listening to these pastors have conversation. One of these pastors, and I cannot even tell you who it was, got up and was sort of giving a testimony of what God allowed him to to do in his ministry. And he says, no matter where I begin, I always wind up in the book of Ephesians. I said, really? I said, are you serious? Well, like I said, God made me stupid, and it's taken me a long time to appreciate that statement because that's where I want to go to research who I am. So, in the book of, of Ephesians, help me out. How many chapters in the book of Ephesians? Six. All right, so there are six chapters. The first three chapters answer the question, who I am. I want you to take this as, as an assignment. Once you take a piece of paper, blank piece of paper, and at the top of this page, I want you to put two words, either in Christ or in him. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about my position, the uniqueness of who I am. So if you've got your Bibles, turn over to the book of Ephesians, and somebody help me with this. Because uh, I'm not going to try to read it. I want you to help me out, and I want somebody to read. And so if somebody will start in chapter 1, verse 1, read it loud. Where's that microphone? We'll give it to somebody. Does this still work? 
Who, who's, really, who's ready to read for me? Good man. Do you have a Bible? Oh, good. My wife okay. does. All right. All right, start reading in verse 1, and allow me the freedom to stop you, okay? So don't lose your place after I stop you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, understand, where's Pastor Jim? Pastor Jim, I've had the opportunity to teach the book of Ephesians. It's taken me two years to do that. We won't do that all this evening, okay? Because so, we got that refreshments, and I can hardly wait. Okay, so we're talking about Paul. He says what? He's an apostle. He's an apostle. Of Christ Jesus by mm -hmm. the will of God. Ah, so Paul's an apostle, not just because man thought he ought to be, but by the will of God. Do you understand, folks, that you'll never know the will of God apart from the word of God? It just isn't going to happen. So I've had young people, I've had couples, I've had older people coming into my office and talking about how do you find God's will? Well, number one, God's will is not lost. Okay? God's will is in the word of God. And the issue is, is the apostle Paul was called by the will of God. That's critical when you get into the book of Ephesians. We won't look at it at all. But that's critical for you and I to know the will of God for our lives. Keep reading. To the saints in Ephesus. Okay, now, I said, take that page, put the words in him or in Christ. So one of the first things that you could put down there is that in Christ, in him, I'm a saint. All right? That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. So in Christ, I'm a saint. Keep reading. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Ah, so not only am I a saint, but in Christ, he's called me to be faithful. Okay, keep reading. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, because I am in Christ, I have what? Grace and? Pretty neat, huh? That's good stuff. Keep reading. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with uh, let's every... Don't go by that one so fast. In Christ, you've got the words up there, in Christ, in him... I am what? I am not only blessed, but I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. Somewhere along the line, folks, you need to let that sink in. And the reason I say that is that over my years of doing therapy and working with people, people struggle with trying to find out who they are. They have issues in the, their past life, and they have gotten locked up emotionally, and as a believer, can get locked up spiritually, and, and I don't have any further growth because of that. And I allow things and people and situations and circumstances and events of life to lock me up instead of having the freedom that God gives to me through being in him, in Christ. Keep reading. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Oh, in so in Christ I have what? Every, every spiritual blessing. Keep going. For he chose us in him before. All right. All right, wait a minute, wait a minute. So did you catch that? All right, you and I have been chosen who and where? In him. So did you write that down? All right, we've been chosen in him. Keep reading. Before the creation of the oh, world. Oh, when, when, when we were doing this? Before there was anything, right? Before there was, except for God, he chose you and me. Now watch this. This is, the, this is a great one here. Keep reading. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, everybody here tonight, sitting here, that is holy and blameless, raise your hand. <laughs> Pastor, there's some people who don't have their hands up. Folks, every one of us are holy and blameless. Say that. I am holy and blameless. Say it like you are. I am holy and blameless. That's right. That's why at the top of that page, you have in him. Now, you can go through there, and I really encourage you to. There, there's 50, 60 
different things in those first three chapters that declare your position in Christ. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is that chapters 4, 5, and 6 are meaningless. No reason ever to look at chapters 4, 5, and 6 unless you know what chapters 1, 2, and 3 are saying and that you have made that a declaration in your life. So we were at a place in Asheville called the Biltmore House. It's the largest house in the United States. And we're walking around and, and all of a sudden these folks come up and it was uh, a pastor and a couple that used to be in our Sunday school class back in, uh, in the Asheville area. And he says, he says, Doc, people call me Doc. He says, Doc, he says, you just need to understand that one of the greatest teachings you ever gave to me was reminding me my identity in Jesus Christ. He pulls out his phone and he goes through it and he has 60 different things that these three chapters talk about. He says, I read this every single day. I read, and he says, the reason is, is that there are all sorts of people and things out there that are trying to ruin my life. And I come back to my real identity. So I challenge you, get that piece of paper and begin writing those down because there's no sense reading chapters 4, 5, and 6. But let me give you a little idea what's in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about my position. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about my practice. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell me who I am. Say that with me. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell me who I am. Don't forget that. It's going to be critical because I'm going to give you a test. And here's the deal. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Now walk worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. I can't do that if I don't know who I am. So if I don't know chapters 1, 2, and 3, how in the world do I walk worthy? Can't do that. But Paul says, walk worthy of that calling. Folks, do you understand what got us here over the last 50 years? Won't get us there if I don't know who I am. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, be an imitator of God. We understand that I cannot imitate God if I am not walking worthy, and I can't walk worthy if I don't know. A little weak, but you're getting the idea. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 1 says, children be obedient. Now, understand, as Pastor Bruce said this morning, Doctrine is critical. I never really was over-enthusiastic about doctrine. So I'm sitting with John MacArthur one day, and, and I said, uh, you know, I, there's too many other things to know, except why, why do I want to get into doctrine? I shouldn't have said that to John MacArthur. So I, I got a first-hand message for the next hour and a half about doctrine, the importance of it. So here's the deal. I know the context of chapter 6, and I know the ramifications of children be obedient, but the idea is that in chapter 5, it says we're all children. Okay? And so chapter 6, children be obedient. I cannot be obedient unless I am imitating God. I cannot imitate God unless I am walking worthy. I will not be able to walk worthy unless I know Critical. What got us here, you know, with Pastor Pete, great, great things. I, I look back at those years that we were here, and uh, do, do you all remember the uh, class that he had? This, what was this class that used to meet in here? All those old people? Oh, yeah, right. I feel like I need to be a part of that class now. <laughs> but... <laughs> but he was teaching the series on where are the dead and so he asked that question one Sunday morning and I'm sitting down here and I said in Fidelia class <laughs> that didn't go over real well you know, 
<laughs> you know, it's those types of things that were really wonderful. I walk in here this morning, and, and I looked up here on the platform, and I saw drums, and I saw uh, guitars, and I saw, and I says, well, it reminded me so much of the time when I was here, because it was so different. <laughs> you know, for those of you who are here, if you can remember the night that I invited the Youth for Christ, Youth for Christ uh, group to come in here and sing, and they took those two... Um, well, first off, they climbed up on the up where those lights are, and they had spotlights, and they turned off all the lights in here, and they were out in the narthex vestibule, whatever the room out there is, and they grabbed those doors and they just whipped them open, and they came running down here. Brother Carl was sitting right down here. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whoever whoever Shar was sitting with said. Who invited these people? <laughs> Char said, I think Dick. <laughs> she wasn't going to totally commit, okay? And I appreciate that. <laughs> so, you know, it was good to see, see this type of evidence that people change. And, you know, and that's important. Growth is important. I'm not saying we have taken everything that's out there to bring it inside the church. But there needs to be an awareness. But that awareness needs to come from the word of God. And the issue is, is that if I don't know who I am, then it really doesn't matter what the next 50 years looks like. Because I'll just try to put religious hangings on all of this. Or we'll get into a place and say, well, you know, I'm at an age where I didn't, we never did that. So for three years, I did church consulting. And I went into a church, and they had a meeting. And they were in a big argument over lights that were hanging down from the ceiling. What did you call, what do you call those things? Huh? Chandeliers. Had all these chandeliers, and, and most of the people wanted the chandeliers gone. Except for this one elderly gentleman. And he was fighting to keep the chandeliers. And so I have conversation, we're having a conversation in the meeting in the, in the uh, Sunday evening church service, and, and he's fighting to keep the chandeliers. And I, I just asked a question, I said, I said, how come we need to keep the chandeliers? He says, he says, listen, I really don't know what chandeliers are, but we need light. And sometimes we fight over the silliest things. And we miss the portion of understanding who I am. One of the things that brings me back to think about all of this is Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 and following, really lay a groundwork of things that you and I are to stay away from. Stay away from these things, and I begin to move closer to the things of God and to the point where in verses 22 and 23 we get to what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. And the, and the reason I want to give this, these two verses to us to remind ourselves about who I am is that there is a trilogy in these two verses and Paul lays out a very significant process of what he says if you really know who you are, it's because you know who God is. And in Deuteronomy, it says, God is. So follow along with me as we get to verses 22 and 23. And it says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
As I have studied these two verses, one day as I look at this, all of a sudden, something comes to mind. And that is the first fruit, which is what? Will never be maintained in my life unless number nine is taking place in my life. And that is what? Self-control. Now, got to understand, I am not the most self-controlled individual that you'll ever meet. Just saying. I have blind spots. Do you have any blind spots? Blind spots are things that people can see that we don't. And so I used to have this very lovely Victorian house where my offices were, and, and there was parking on the side. Well, I always got there before anybody else because I wanted the fastest car east of the Mississippi to sit in that first spot. Well, it, it was a 79 Saturn stick shift. But Shar always said, you're having to race with everybody. I said, I don't have to race with anybody. I don't race with anybody. The more I thought about it, I said, I don't race with anybody. And she says, that's another problem. <laughs> she says, you're always hollering, screaming, and yelling at people out there in the car. I don't holler and scream and yell at anybody. She says, oh, okay. It's a blind spot. Lacks self-control. I used to have people that come into my office, and if somebody cut them off out there on the interstate, they would run up there and try to cut them off. I know that none of you folks would ever do that, but some of the people that used to come and see me. Watch this and go with me. Beloved, if I don't know who I am, I will struggle with self-control. Watch this. If I struggle with self-control, it's because I don't have gentleness in my life. If I lack gentleness, it's because there is little faithfulness that's in my life. If I don't have faithfulness in my life, it's because I lack goodness. And if I lack goodness, it's because I have very little kindness in my life. And if I have very little kindness in my life, it's because I'm not really patient. And if I am not patient, it's because I don't have really the peace of God. And the reason I don't have the peace of God is I don't have the joy of God. And if I don't have the joy of God, I don't have love. If I don't have love, God says through 1 John chapter 4, if I don't have love, I don't have God because 1 John 4 says God is love. If I don't know who I am, and if I lack self-control, go back through the process and maybe I have to have a come-to-Jesus meeting to recount and renew that relationship of what love is and who love is. What got us here won't get us there unless... I'm a faithful steward of the Word of God. So I wrote down some things that I want to leave with you. And when I used to finish speaking, teaching, I uh, used these two words. So what? It, so I've talked about what I've talked about, and the question is, so what? Here's the so what. For Berean to reach the next 50 years, you have to continue to be students of the word. Acts chapter 17, the people of Berea just didn't listen to Paul and Barnabas. They took what they had, they dissected that, what they said, they dissected that to find out whether or not it was true. 
So don't just take tonight what I've said to say, oh, well, used to be a youth pastor here, so it must have really been right. You take a look at it and see whether or not Deuteronomy talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And then go over to Matthew because Jesus said the same thing. And don't just believe me about the book of Ephesians. You become a student of the word. And just don't let Pastor Jim get up here or Pastor Kevin or any of the other staff to teach without you knowing what is truth so that you can determine whether or not Berean Church will be able to be where they need to be 50 years from now because you are students of the Word of God. Number two, development of the family. Y'all were very gracious to Shar and myself to work with the young people and to be a part of your families, many of you who are here. Continue to develop the nurturing and the ministry of families because you know what? Marysville can take place anywhere, anytime, any moment, and our young people can be there. Continue to develop the life, the purpose, the vision, the direction, that which God wants our families, the strong families of the Word of God. Number three, have a plan. Write it out. Where does God want us? 1, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20. Where does he want us 50 years from now? What does he want Berean Church to do and to be? And if it's not written out, it's not a plan, it's a wish list. And then what happens is that somebody else can come in and take over because we didn't know where it was that we really wanted to be. Number four, stay true to God's call on your lives. 50 years, man, that's marvelous, phenomenal. Congratulations. Thanks for allowing Shar and myself to be a part of it. Great memories. Go through this list to see young people who have come through these doors, hollow grounds, if you would, and then go from here out into the world to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Testimony to the truth of the Word of God that has been taught here and lived out. Be faithful. Continue to teach that to your children, to your grandchildren, and to all the children that come behind. The strength of that testimony comes in the lives of the adults who say, I'm willing to get out of the way for the sake of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And to be used in a mighty way. Those, those um, pictures this morning, to see as many of you adults working in, in the uh, vacation, what do you call it? VBA, Venture. Vacation Bible Adventure. It's phenomenal. That's great. Bless your hearts. Thank you. Continue that. Remind yourselves who you are. Write that list down. When that happens, the identity of your life, those that you live with, those that you associate with, will be able to plan the future for what it is that God wants. One less, two less verses. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Anybody know what they say? And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all to the glory of Christ. What does that mean? Well, help me out. Very quickly, we close with this. The reason Jesus came to earth was what? To save you? How many say that's a good reason why Jesus came? Okay, but why did he really come? Come on, pastor's sitting over here. Why did, why did Jesus really come to this earth? To die. How many think that the reason Jesus came to earth was to die? Good, okay. But what was the real reason Jesus came to earth? 
to give us life. There you go. There's somebody from Dallas. (laughs) How true is that? He did. But what was the real reason Jesus came to earth? Pardon me? To who, what do you mean to who God is? He, he showed people who God is. He did, didn't he? Yeah. But what was the real reason that he came to earth? Say again? To save you. How good is that? Isn't that? That's personal, isn't it? But what was the real reason he came? Thank you very much. All right, two of you said that. Here's the deal. Jesus came to do one thing, and that was to glorify the Father. Now, that's the umbrella. All those other things we said is that that's what he did in glorifying the Father. What is your responsibility every single day? To glorify the Father. Hey, folks, I cannot glorify the Father unless I know who I am. So I challenge you. What got you here won't get you there until I come to the place of hiding in Jesus knowing who I am. Father God, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the church that you have placed on this corner, a lighthouse. We thank you for the call that you've had on people's lives to go from here extended into ministries throughout the world. God, we so thank you that that you continue to preach the word of truth through Pastor Jim and other staff members and lay people here at the church. God, use them for another 50 years to be used in a mighty way to declare the truth of the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And Lord, because of that, might many individuals come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, have a life that is transformed and renewed, and then whether, God, it's in the school system, it's in the workforce, it's in the school system, it is in ministry somewhere, that lives will be turned upside down for the kingdom of God and the righteousness of that he has given to us. In that we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.